0: Good morning, it's Thursday, October 3rd, and you are listening to the College Football Daily, dedicated to catching you up on and breaking down the day's college football news all within 15 minutes or fewer. I'm Connor Tapp. Later in the show, we've got several more states with name, image, and likeness fever, and Tennessee head coach Jeremy Pruitt facing scrutiny over a phone conversation with an officer from the UT Police Department. But first, we've got to give the people what they want. Rutgers talk. The Scarlet Knights, like the state in which they reside, are the butt of so many easy jokes these days. But there was a time not so long ago when Rutgers was on top of the world. It was November 9, 2006, and Jeremy Ito's game-winning field goal had just helped 15th-ranked and undefeated Rutgers knock off number 3 Louisville. But in 2011, head coach Greg Schiano leaves for the NFL. And then in 2014, the Scarlet Knights joined the Big Ten and skipped right over being mediocre and went straight to the part where they became a perennial doormat. Now, after three seasons plus four games, Rutgers has fired head coach Chris Ash after the former Ohio State defensive coordinator managed just eight total wins during his time in Piscataway. So I brought in 24-7 Sports News Desk Managing Editor Sam Hellman, to help me understand how Rutgers fell so far, so fast. We're in the studio now with Sam Hellman who works on our college news desk. And Sam, what is your relationship to Rutgers football? Just so people know.
1: It's been a long time, Connor. Um, I was a Rutgers football beat writer for 11 seasons, did a lot of basketball, college wrestling, everything during my time there too. But, yeah, I had the fortune or misfortune, depending on your opinion, of covering Rutgers football from 2007 to
0: 2017. So we're at a point now as Rutgers looks for a new football coach, many people perceive this to be the worst Power 5 job in the country, but there was a time not so long ago where it seemed like Rutgers was on the ascendancy in college football. Is it universally agreed upon that uh, Jeremy Ito's – game-winning kick is the high-water mark for Rutgers football back in 2006.
1: Clark Harris, the long snapper, Cali checks with Ito, he's ready, snap, spot, Ito puts his leg into it, and the judge has knocked it through the uprights, and Rutgers has taken a three-point lead with 13 seconds left, and they are on the precipice of the biggest win in Rutgers school history. I mean, it's certainly the most memorable point, especially because media had advanced by that point. I mean, Rutgers had some great moments in the seventies and stuff like that, but none. Of, I wasn't born yet. You weren't, Connor. Yeah, um, yeah. That that kick, they beat Louisville on a Thursday night, the uh, number three team in the country, storming the field. They actually beat the number two team, South Florida, the next year at home. But that was kind of the, the magical moment and. Unfortunately for Rutgers, it went downhill after that. They got blown out by Cincinnati, and the season ended in the Texas Bowl instead of what could have been a lot more. I mean, I don't think – sure, there's some Rutgers fans that thought that they were going to be Alabama, but I think the general realistic approach was we're a real football university now. Um, They used that 2006 season to expand the stadium. It used to be an open stadium, and they closed it off, added – 10,000 seats, uh, and basically all that fundraising and that money from the state came because of what 2006 meant. That was the first time they started to land huge name recruits and beat real schools. Uh, they got five star Anthony Davis, offensive lineman that went on to play, uh, for San Francisco and beat out every team in the country for him. Uh, the same could be said about Kenny Britt, who was a first round pick, I believe of the Titans. Yeah. Um, that was the year where they started to get real recruits, and you started to see guys at the Army All-American game putting on Rutgers hats. And that was something that had never been seen before, and honestly it hasn't been seen in about seven years anyway. But for that two- or three-year stretch until until Rutgers hit some hard times in 2010, um, I would think college football fans listening to this know Eric LeGrand's story and mm-hmm. his injury and how that kind of became a a four and eight season for reasons that had nothing to do with football. But there was that stretch from about 2006 to 2009 where there might have been some lack of confidence about where the big East was going as a football conference, but Rutgers was on the way to being a real football program.
0: So what is the story that gets told of how Rutgers built toward that Point toward that moment in 2006 where they were kind of like the darlings of college football for a little while.
1: Bob Mulcahy brought in Greg Schiano in 2000, and unlike now, where you see a lot of programs making quick changes if things aren't getting done, back 15, 20 years ago, they gave him time. Um, he went 1 11 his second year. They lost, I believe, 83 to nothing to West Virginia once. But instead of giving up after a couple of years, they actually invested more into the program. They built out the stadium. They gave him time, I guess, is the best way to answer that, Connor. And it was also a different landscape because Greg Schiano was recruiting against Louisville and Syracuse and UConn and not necessarily now where Chris Ash has had to go head-to-head with Michigan and Ohio State and Penn State year after year.
0: So the, the timing of kind of Rutgers' high point there, it's two years after Virginia Tech and Miami leave for the ACC. Did that help propel things along? Because, I mean, Virginia in, Virginia Tech and Miami taking up a lot of oxygen is like the two clear powers in that conference for a while.
1: I mean, it certainly didn't hurt. They still had to contend with Rich Rodriguez's West Virginia when it was at its apex, and then Louisville was also on fire at that time as a top five, top ten team. But you're, you're right, the... The level of competition was not necessarily the same as maybe in 2000 in the Big East when you're talking about Miami. But they still played some good teams in that 2006 season that everyone talks about so fondly. West Virginia, they they took to overtime and lost. And Morgantown and Louisville, obviously, they beat in a pretty memorable moment on Thursday night.
0: So what is the story that gets told of how things started coming apart?
1: Well... It started coming apart when Greg Schiano left. It's, it's, it's both that simple and a lot more complex than that, but what people don't realize about when Greg Sciano left is he took that job with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers like 10 days before National Signing Day. Mm-hmm. So it's not your average coaching search where most of these coaching searches get wrapped up by December 15th. There were no candidates because it was so late in the process that it was literally – Kyle Flood, who was the acting head coach after Greg Shiano left, or it was Mario Cristobal, who kind of got cold feet at the time. There were some other candidates that they explored, but it's really hard to do a coaching search, do your due diligence, keep a recruiting class together, do all of that that late in the cycle. I mean, we're talking about head coach being announced, I believe it was three days before National Signing Day. And, yeah, it kept their recruiting class together, and it was a strong recruiting class that year. It was one of Rutgers' best ever. But a lot of damage happened after that when Kyle Flood was running the program because while he kept the class together at the time, he might not have been the best program builder. And after that three-year, four-year investment, things really started to turn for the worse.
0: So in part of this period we're talking about Rutgers is still in the big East Chiano leaves after the 2011 season. Then there's one more year of the Big East under Kyle Flood. Then it's the AAC, and then the transition to the Big Ten. How does the change of conference factor into the the narrative about what happened here?
1: People forget that in their first year in the Big Ten, they went to a bowl game. They won the Quick Lane Bowl. They beat Mitch Trubisky in North Carolina. Uh, they beat Michigan that year for the first Big Ten win in program history. And yes, that was Brady Hoke, Michigan. But it's not like they couldn't win in 2014. So a lot of the excuse making that I think you've heard since then about the strength of schedule or they'll never win the Big Ten East. I mean, they're never going to win with where they are right now. But to say it will never happen ever is a stretch because they proved they could do it in 2014. And that was with Kyle Flood. Imagine what they could have done if Greg Shiano was still there.
0: So, listeners probably know by now. I'm a South Carolina fan. I talk end up talking about it more than I would like. But a thing that South Carolina struggles with is okay. Given some of your structural limitations and the conference you're in, and the the fact that you have to play Georgia and Clemson every year, like what is it? How what are some realistic expectations for you to carve out for yourself? Because I mean, you know, going eleven and two every year is probably not realistic for either South Carolina or Rutgers. Maybe you want to do it every now and then, but like what what will the expectations be for this new coach? What will be considered success?
1: I mean, I, I think that success is a pretty low margin right now, a low bar because you're looking at a team that's won eight games under Chris Ash, but at the same time, like it's not that hard to turn things around and go bowling. Eventually, look at what Matt Rule's done at Baylor, and Baylor was in a worse situation when he took over than where Rutgers was when Chris Ash took over. So I think it's fair to expect bowl games and expect winning seasons at times. But I mean, I said I said it when you, we were talking about Greg Schiano. He needed five years, six years to get them to a bowl game. So what Rutgers is really going to have to do this time is just have some patience and. Connor, you know me. I'm from New Jersey. There are plenty of other New Jersey people in this office. Yeah. We're, we're not patient people. We're not quiet people. We're very loud and get very angry at times. So it's going to be really hard to find a fan base that's willing to be patient with the next coach, but that's what it's going to take because you can't fix something as messed up as Rutgers football overnight.
0: What does an effective recruiting strategy like? look like for Rutgers because I know New Jersey has been a very popular state for nearby programs and programs that recruit nationally to kind of go in and raid so is it a matter of like locking down the state and picking some spots elsewhere or what what like what do you think is a successful recruiting roadmap um,
1: I, I don't think Rutgers will ever uh, lock down New Jersey I think it's just that kind of state I mean Bruce Springsteen, made a living singing songs about getting out of New Jersey, that a lot of people think about that. You look at at nearby colleges like Maryland or UVA or Penn State, and it's full of New Jersey kids, not just athletes but students, because a lot of people that grow up in New Jersey want to move elsewhere. So I don't think you'll ever lock it down. But what Rutgers needs to do is to lock down the guys that they can get commitments from in the first place. Because if you're able to get the commitment in the first place – you keep the relationship strong enough on the way to signing day that I think that's where Rutgers can win. Because you talk about Saquon Barkley, former Rutgers commit, Jonathan Taylor. If you get those relationships strong enough and you keep those guys home, that's where things can be special. And then something that we've seen them succeed in in the past is, hey, go dip into Florida. There's too many athletes in Florida for just those four or five primary Florida schools. So if you can go find one or two every class that run a four three forty and can catch a football, that's a good way to bolster the class.
0: So it it seems as we're as we're recording this on uh, Wednesday, October second, it it seems like the front runners for the Rutgers position, Greg Schiano, maybe Butch Jones, also, is that the right kind of coach for Rutgers to be targeting?
1: I. Look, I covered Greg Ciano for for five or six years, so I'm a a little biased when I say I think he's the right choice right now. Uh Now, whether he wants to come back or not is another story because Rutgers isn't the same place that it was when he left. Uh, The talent is...
0: And just in terms of the 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 roster or other things going on
1: both um they've had they've had a president change and the current president who is leaving next year is not an athletics friendly president so mm. any any coach but greg Schiano knows this better because he's been there before any coach is going to have questions about what rutgers academically is going to do in terms of its university president and will they be pro athletics going forward um Greg Schiano has a much better understanding of the political aspects of the job than most, and that's why I think he, he can be a good fit. He's also someone that has rebuilt the program before, and he has a disciplinarian uh, aspect to him. He He will not put up with shenanigans, and that's something that Rutgers needs because the last thing when you're already losing games is to – have program embarrassments, and that's something that I don't think would happen under Greg Sciano. And, yeah, there's other great candidates, Connor. I I mean, we can make all the Butch Jones jokes we want, but he did really well at Cincinnati, and he knows New Jersey and knows Rutgers. And I could say the same thing about Joe Moorhead if he really is looking around at the end of the year with Mississippi State. I don't know if that's true or not, but I've seen his name mentioned a lot by people that I trust, and he's another guy that's from the Northeast – and he knows how to make a big 10 offense work. Just ask Penn state, just ask Trace McSorley. So yeah, I think that, I think there are some options that are on the table that are not Greg Shiano, but Shiano would be my pick.
0: Lastly, it's the 150 years of college football. And I'm my understanding is that that traces back to Rutgers, right? Yes, yes sir. Okay. So what, I mean, what is, what is the history there?
1: Well, Long, long time ago in a galaxy far, far away, Rutgers played Princeton in the first college football game 150 years ago. Now, the field on which they played is now the student center parking lot, but the history remains. Uh, Rutgers beat Princeton 6 to 4 to win the national championship. Again, there's two teams, so someone has to win the national championship. <laughs> um but, yeah, Rutgers was the birthplace of college football. It's it's more than just a saying to people in yeah. New Jersey. It does mean something to the college fans in that area. And while Rutgers has been a punching bag or a doormat a lot of times, I mean, this year is a perfect example, they've had their moments as a program. Um, Paul Robeson is someone that every college football fan should know and doesn't, not just because of how good he was as a football player, but because of the way he broke down barriers in terms of race in terms of social issues and he was a hell of a football player uh they've had their moments they were Rutgers football was the UCF of 1976 they went <laughs> 11-0 and but the pollsters did not believe in them so Pittsburgh got the national championship I think Rutgers finished like 15th that year but you know they could have their AD could have proclaimed themselves national champions and had a parade so there have been moments at Rutgers, Shore, but when you're talking about 150 years of football, probably not enough moments.
0: Ohio State Athletics Director Gene Smith came out in strong opposition recently to the wave of name, image, and likeness bills being passed in state legislatures across the country. Complicating matters for Smith is the fact that lawmakers in his own state of Ohio have told reporters they're working on their own version of California's recently passed Senate Bill 206, which makes it illegal for universities to punish players for profiting off of their own name, image, and likeness. Smith is a co-chair on the NCAA's Working Committee on the name, image, and likeness issue, which is expected to give a report later this month. In addition to California and Ohio, lawmakers in Colorado, Florida, Pennsylvania, Illinois, Kentucky, Nevada, New York, and South Carolina have introduced a plan or plan to introduce similar bills. During a teleconference on Wednesday, Jeremy Pruitt answered questions about his conduct during a September 15th phone conversation between a University of Tennessee police officer and Pruitt. While Tennessee linebacker Jeremy Banks was being detained by police who were executing a warrant for Banks' arrest for failing to appear in court for a traffic ticket, Banks put Pruitt on speakerphone and the conversation was recorded by a police officer's body camera. A seemingly half-awake and frustrated Pruitt is heard saying, I've worked at four places and never seen no crap like this except for here. The body cam video also shows a defiant Banks taunting police officers and saying that where he's from, they shoot cops. Pruitt said Banks will not be suspended for the Volunteers game against Georgia this weekend. That's going to do it for today's episode of the College Football Daily. Our next episode will come Friday in the form of the audio version of the 24-7 Sports College Football Show, which you can watch in video form at 1130 a.m. Central on YouTube, Periscope, or Facebook, featuring myself, Trey Scott, Barton Simmons, and Josh Ayler. At the end of the show, we'll be making our picks for the biggest game of the weekend if you'd like to pick along with us and enter to win a $1,000 cash prize enter the CBS College Football Pick'em Pool linked in today's show notes and enter the password 15 minutes or fewer. That's the number 15 with no spaces in between. For Sam Hellman and our producer, Tony Levitt, I'm Connor Tapp, and we'll see you on Friday for the next edition of the College Football Daily.